let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 7. Oh, boy. Hallelujah. Okay. Revelation, chapter 7, 10 a.m. Let's see what happens here. Why are we in the book of Revelation? Because it's awesome. Okay, I appreciate that. That's good. That's good. I mean, I didn't write it, but I can still say that's good. Uh, we are studying the book of Revelation because primarily of how it is introduced in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. When John the Revelator says this, blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and heed the things that are written in it. There is blessing for those who hear this, but not just for those who hear it. The blessing comes when we heed when we listen to and respond to what we are hearing, we will be blessed. You, I want you to get your faith on and believe that. Would you say we will be blessed? That we are being blessed right now. Our church is experiencing a blessing. There's blessing on all of Scripture, and Scripture has its own promises. But you've got to admit that there's a uniqueness to this passage. No other book begins by saying, if you read this book, you'll be blessed. Yes, Psalms tells us you're blessed when we blessed are those who don't walk that or sit and the other thing, but walk, you know, but meditate on the on the word. So there's blessing on the word. But this book says if you'll lean into this, there's a particular blessing for you. How many are ready for it? The second part is this for the time is near. Friends, we need to remember and live like the time is near. And the book of Revelation reminds us that you and I must live with a view of eternity. Because we are never, the church of Jesus Christ is never as faithful and fervent as fruitful as when we remember where we're going. I want us to also remember that as we're walking through this text, that our our attempt, and I should say my attempt, is to do this in real time with with John. Trying to use the same frame of reference that John would have used, which is primarily to, um, let me just give a, a quick example. Anybody in this pulpit or anybody else or any pulpit or anything else, if anybody is going to speak or give a message, they're going to they're going to they're going to footnote or root or support anything they say with the scripture. Right. At least they should or otherwise. Right. Okay. We preach from the Bible. Okay. And so what you need to understand is that those who wrote the New Testament at the time they were not necessarily know, you know, thinking, well, this is, this is the New Testament. <laughs> okay? They were writing under the inspiration, but when they wrote, they did the same thing. They wrote or spoke, and they rooted or noted or footnoted anything they said in the Bible. But for them, the Bible was the, our Old Testament. So when we seek to understand the, the images or the, 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 the pictures or even the, the statements or things that might not make sense to us, it, rather than to reach toward Plato or some Greek weirdness or something like that, all of those have their place, but the, it's called the, you ready for it, it's called the locus classicus. Okay, the locus classicus is what's the, where, what is the primary, the classical location? Where do we look for the root in what they're saying? So we go to the Old Testament. So that's how, the, so in other words, the best way to understand the book of Revelation is to, is to take the Old Testament with you. All right. So that's what, the, what we're doing. So then last week, we, we launched into chapter 6, 
And we saw that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, opens the first six seals on the scroll. Now remember how significant that scroll is. That scroll was something that no one else was worthy to open, that all of heaven cried out for someone to open. This scroll is not just a big deal, it is the big deal. It's important because it's going to help us understand how the book of Revelation continues, that what happens in this scroll really, and, and you're just going to have to be patient and let us walk through this together, this scroll really sets up the events or the visions for the rest of the book. Okay, the first thing that happens is the lamb takes this scroll and everybody shouts hallelujah. And then in chapter six, he begins to break open these seals. And the first four seals authorize, we read, four horse and riders. That Old Testament scripture helped us to understand were spirits who patrol the earth. We saw that in in a couple of major Old Testament texts that John would have been citing, that these horse and riders of different colors are spirits who patrol the earth, and we saw last week that these were authorized to stir up man's own sin against him and to to face its consequences. We saw that that these were spirits of aggression, Violence, lack, and death. They, are, they were loosed, but they were under restraint because their mission is to incite mankind to repent. Would you all say repent? The mission is to incite mankind to repentance and to abandon his sin and to turn toward the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the mission of these things. That's what's supposed to be happening. These spirits of distress or of tribulation are, are, are restrained, but the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is not restrained. And after these seals, after these horsemen are loosed, we see in cha- chapter five, uh, uh, the, the fifth seal just, just shows us Really quickly, interestingly enough, really, uh, really quickly just takes us back into heaven to the cries and the prayers of the saints saying, hey, what's going on? How long, O oh Lord, until, until you finally do judgment? Which tells us that those first four weren't final judgment, but they were, they were a process. Then the sixth seal is broken, and that sixth seal releases cataclysms and a cosmic heaving and the wrath of the Lamb. You can say wow, you can say woe, you can say whatever, but wow. Now, chapter 7. Chapter 7, let me just give you a preview. I don't often do this. I try to just kind of stay in real time here, but just just to help us out, chapter 7, what we are about to see is a pause. It's a a flashback. It's a close-up on the saints of God during the activity of these four horsemen. Someone, Sean, asked me last week, he said, so those four horsemen, that's that's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I said, yep, but they might be better called the four horsemen of the tribulation. Let's stay in the book. (laughs) 
I have mentioned that there are different paradigms and some different interpretive approaches to the book of Revelation. And I, it is, I am absolutely committed. I am not adopting any single approach as a template to put over the top of the text. We're just trying to follow the evidence and stay with John as we go. Portions of today's content in chapter 7 is laid claim to by those who see some different particulars. I will allude to them, but I won't go too far down any specific road. We're going to just try to stay in the text and use the Bible to interpret the Bible. Amen. Okay. I say, when I say amen, that means I want you to say that. <laughs> okay. Amen. amen. All right. Okay. And that just means so be it. We're in this together and we got our faith on that button together. All right. So back to chapter 7. What John sees in chapter 7 is another vision. He actually sees two in chapter 7. It's my goal to see if I can get us through both. <laughs> How many of you can believe God for that? I don't know. Uh, his, his visions in the book of Revelation are actually separated by a phrase that you, we, we wouldn't understand it or see it in our text, but it's metatauta. Metatauta, and, it's, and it's, you might see it in your Bible often like it might say, after these things or after this I saw. And it doesn't necessarily mean a, a after this as in, in linear sequence. It means I saw something, and then after this I saw something again, or I saw something else. A great way to explain it, I was talking with Sean Searle on Wednesday night about it, and I was explaining this to him, and he said, so it's like standing in the ocean, and different waves are coming at you. It's the same ocean, but different waves are coming at you from different directions. And you're experiencing the same ocean, but there's different waves coming. I said, you know what? That's probably the best way to understand what John is seeing. He's standing in a literal sea of revelation, and then metatauta, there's a different wave that comes at him. And sometimes they're in sequence, like one seal, two seal, three seal. Those are definitely in sequence. And then sometimes it's a backup and a close-up or Sometimes in the scripture, a vision will come that, or a story or a picture comes, and it simply explains what you already heard. For instance, Genesis chapter 1 tells, tells us all seven days of creation, doesn't it? What happens in Genesis chapter 2? Does God start over with a brand new group of people? No. No, in Genesis chapter 2, he, he, starts, he goes all the way, he, he backs up to the day where he creates man and then expands that story. So you can't read that linearly. You have to say, oh, here's the story, and then back up, here's a close-up. In, 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 uh, in Genesis uh, uh, 41, Pharaoh has a dream, and he sees, right, he sees seven huge, robust cows, right? And then after that are seven little, 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 little no-carbo diet cows, <laughs> right? And then after that, he sees seven huge huge things of wheat and then seven little narrow ones. And, and, and what we're told is that the second vision just was a restatement of the first. As a matter of fact, when it was repeated twice, it's like, hey, by the way, this is two witnesses. This is really going to happen. In Revelation, what you're probably going to get is actually three witnesses to one big plan. This is really going to happen. Okay? And often, so what we're going to see is sometimes these visions will back up and highlight or explain some stuff. I'm not going to say that I'm going to be able to make it crystal clear, but, but I promise to swim through it, and so here we go. All right? What we need to remember this is no matter what we see or hear from in Revelation, everything emphasizes redemption, tribulation, 
faithfulness to Jesus, judgment, reward and recompense, and ultimately praise, honor, and glory, and thanks to God. That's always the result. We may only get to the first half, but let's try. Verses 1 through 8. Everyone, I want you to say it out loud with happy thoughts. I want you to say the church militant. That is right. Verses 1 through 8. John says, after this, metatauta, after this, I saw another wave. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on any or on the sea or on any tree. All right. Time out. Four corners of the earth. Well, is that some sort of a special? No, that means exactly what we mean, what we mean today. When we say the four corners of the earth, we mean the whole place. This is what we're about to see in here is something that is, is, is covering or pertains to the whole planet. Okay. So, and then it says four angels holding back four winds from, a, from their assignment. What are these four winds? Hmm. Well, these are the four spirits of the four seals. Wait a minute, Dav, that says winds. Hmm, it does. Remember that we saw these beings in the book of Zechariah, John's frame of reference, Zechariah 6, 5. The angel replied to me, these are the four spirits of heaven going forth and standing before the Lord of all the earth. The word for spirit and wind is the same. Same word. Jeremiah chapter 49, verse 36, the prophet uses this. He's the prophet using the phrase four winds. He says, listening to the Lord, the Lord says, I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four ends of heaven. So what we are seeing here in the spirit is something that is happening before the horsemen are released. You with me? Before the first seal is broken and the horse, before that happens, there's a flashback. There's a close up. Holding back these winds before they can go anywhere. Verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having, whew, having the seal of the living God. What? There's another angel from, coming from the place that, where light comes, where the glory of the Lord always approaches in the Old Testament, from the east, from the rising of the sun. This is a strong image of hope. And what he, has in his, what he has is the seal of the living God. It's like he's carrying a signet ring. He has a seal. And this, this kind of signet ring, this kind of seal, would be a distinctive mark of ownership upon something or someone. It would be the proof of authenticity. It's in, it would be an inscription of the owner's name or their image. And whatever was under the signet ring's seal belonged to that person and was under their protection. And the angel cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bond servants of our God on their foreheads. 
he speaks to the four angels. Above, he calls them the four winds. Notice the interchange. He tells them, don't move yet. Don't start yet until we seal the bondservants of our God. Who are the bondservants? Bondservants is a common reference for the followers of Jesus. Say it out loud, the followers of Jesus. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, John says, I am your fellow bondservant. Bondservants are the audiences of the letter in chapters 1 through 3, specifically chapter 2 and verse 20. Jesus, talking about the churches in Asia, calls them my bond servants. This is the word bond servant, doulos, slave, is the same thing Paul calls himself and other apostles call themselves. This word means the redeemed. It is someone who has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Bond servant is a reference for the redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That was really bad. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Now listen. The, the angel says, seal them on their foreheads. Right away, if we're good Bible boys like John, we're going, hey. That reminds me of Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 4 through 6. Yes, it would. He is pulling from Ezekiel, once again, these, these, these prophetic, almost apocalyptic texts of the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 9 says this, The Lord said to him, Go through the midst of the city, even through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations which are being committed in its midst. What kind of people would sigh and groan over abominations being committed? The righteous. The ones, forgive me for how sophomoric it might sound, the ones on God's side. The, one that, the ones, those that long for righteousness, those that are righteous, the, those belonging to the Lord in their hearts who see what's going on and they, their hearts reject wickedness and the abominations, the Lord says, mark them. Mark them. Come on, say that loud. Mark them. The loyal, the righteous. Verse 5, but to the others, he said in my hearing, go through the city after him, after those that are marked, and strike. Do not let your... You know, it's tough to read this sometimes because it doesn't work with some of our paperbacks. <laughs> it really messes with some of the social media preachers that we have. But God's a big God. He's good, 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 good. Big, big, big. Okay? Do not, he's, do not let your eye have pity and do not spare. But do not touch any man on whom is the mark. If they're marked, they're mine. Oh, there's someone hit a putt over here. If they're marked, God says, they're mine. So this mark, this mark identifies and distinguishes and protects. In the New Testament, the New Testament affirms that the redeemed, the believer, has been sealed. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also, 
after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. As a believer, you were marked as those who belong, and you were marked with a promise. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, Paul continues. By the way, time out. Why is it important to quote Paul when we're talking about the book of Revelation? He didn't write this book. No, but he is the father, the apostolic father of this church region. These churches would be under the Pauline tradition, even though they're under Johannine bishopry. <laughs> okay, Paul launched these churches. John is the bishop over them. There's Ephesus, Ephesus, Ephesians, bippity bop. Okay, all right. Second Timothy chapter two verse nineteen. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. This seal says, the Lord knows those who are His. And everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So the seal says you belong. The seal also says you behave like those who belong. It's an identification of your identity and your purpose. You belong to Him, you're under His watch, you're under His protection, you're marked, you're His, and you act like it. And this is important because they're going to have a choice. You act like it, nope, I got it, I, since my time's up, I'll give you, I'll, I'll act like a little preview. You act like it no matter the tribulation you face, the persecution you face. No matter the immorality or idolatry trying to seduce its way into the church, you act like you belong. Amen. Revelation chapter 7, with the support from other scripture, should affirm this to you and to me. And to the original audience that would have heard this, that would have been facing persecution and threats of idolatry and immorality. What did they need to hear? They need to hear what being sealed means. It means we belong to God. We are His forever. He has taken ownership of us, and we are under His protection. Further, we behave like those who belong to Him. We are faithful to Him regardless. And we are sealed as a promise and as protection from what is to come. We are sealed for heaven. We are sealed for eternity. We belong to God. And in chapter 7, we are sealed like they were so that they may endure, so that they may be protected and be confident and be faithful during what will come. What will come? What's coming? What's coming is what we already read. Pop goes the first seal. What's coming? This is before the seals. Our We're sealed before those seals. What's coming is the activity of the four horsemen. From chapter 6, as the four seals are broken. This is the church militant. Everybody say the church militant. 
This is the church militant. This passage begins by telling us that all, someone say all. Come on, say it like it's true. All the bondservants of the Lord would be marked. No one left out. And they are sealed before so that they may preserve, be, be, so that they may persevere during this tribulation. Because they know who they are and they know whose they are and how they should live because of it. This is the church militant, sealed with the Holy Spirit, belonging, behaving, promised, protected, persevering. This is the church militant through all the tribulation. Verse 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, and then he goes down and he names, he doesn't name all of the tribes actually, he names 12 12 tribes, but he kind of borrows some and leaves some out, (laughs) divides Joseph. In other words... About, uh, I read somewhere that about, of about, the, about the 20 times that all 12 tribes are enumerated in the Scripture, there's about 18 different versions. <laughs> this is, in other words, I'll just tell you now, this is not intended to be a direct summary of the actual 12 tribes. Let me give you a, big, a brief excursus. There are those who believe that this refers to literal ethnic group of Jews who are, then, who are supposed to be sealed uniquely during the tribulation. But the textual evidence, you've got to follow the evidence, not Darby, follow the evidence. The evidence does not lead us to that conclusion. The textual evidence indicates that these are who? The bondservants of the Lord. Say it again. The bondservants of the Lord. These are protected and sealed so that they might live accordingly during the tribulation. See, John, here's the cool thing. John has no concept of the people of God outside being identified as Israel. Remember, we said this. Remember, come on, you got to hear this. Remember, in the in the in the in the in the letters to the seven churches. Remember, they were. We got the the feeling that these churches were so hurt because they'd been kicked out of the synagogues. Why? Because, because remember, for them, for Jewish people who followed Christ, they still saw themselves as Jewish. They didn't say, "Oh, in fact, they they believed that they were the expression of what was supposed to be." Yeshua HaMashiach, this is what we've been waiting for. This is the fulfillment of God. We are on the path that God chose. They didn't say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I'm not a Jew anymore. I'm a something else. No. It was, but however, the people that denied and rejected Christ, you have to deal with Jesus on this one. He said they, he said they call themselves Jews, but they're of the synagogue of Satan because they have denied Christ, rejected him, and put themselves against him. So for, even for John, John didn't say, I'm not an Israelite. No, he really saw himself as a true one. I'm the real deal. And they said everybody who believes in Christ, they, they saw them as part of the people of Israel. Revelation makes it clear that Gentiles are equated over and over. They are equated to and referred to as the sons of Israel not only throughout the New Testament, but specifically throughout the book of Revelation. We're the sons of Israel. Okay, 
I can feel you going, wait a minute, Dav. Listen, the New Testament, Remember, the, the, we already said why this is important. Under the influence of Paul, these churches in Asia here have heard this. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. Verse 28 of Galatians 3, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Verse 29, here is the bomb. Here's the mic drop. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, according heirs according to the promise. That's you. Someone say, that's me. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Say it loud. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm. Listen, that's such a good song. It sounds like a marching song, doesn't it? It sounds like a military song, and it should because you are the church militant. And there's a reason why these numbers are laid out the way they are. There are multiple, yes, they're laid out in multiples of 12. We've already seen that, that about what happens with the 24 elders. We've seen that that, that expresses the 12 tribes, tribes, 12 tribes of Israel. <laughs> Marriage is what brings us together. 12. 12. <laughs> the 12 tribes of Israel. Twelve tribes of Israel, twelve apostles have this, this, this combination. Now in this, we have this multiplication, 144,000. This is a figurative number. You've got to get this. This is a figurative number indicating a number that is complete. It is perfect. All of these people belong to him. They are all protected by him, and they all should live loyal to him. That number, 144,000. To us, 144,000 is like a small city, no big deal. To John's audience, imagining 144,000. First of all, these are, these are the numbers, the largest numbers available in the Greek language. Secondly, the, John, John's audience, they could not imagine a group of believers that big. The church was under persecution and scattered in the diaspora. This, was, that, that, this kind of a number would, to us, it's like, hey, that's pretty big. To them, unbelievably staggering, and that is the point. It is supposed to represent a vast, unbelievable number. And yet, every single, a vast, unbelievable amount of people, but every single one of them counted. Every single one of them marked. Every single one of them belonged. Every single one of them protected. Every single one of them persevering. Every single one of them standing. And not, and not just willy-nilly. Not just hanging out. Come on, Jesus! Not, not hanging out. Not waiting. Not victims. Not hiding under rocks. But no, organized into groups of 1,000, which are military regiments. Organized into military groupings. This is the church militant, not victims. Not victims, not hiding, not afraid. 
not not compromising, not giving in, not deluded, not weak, but marked, sealed by God Himself as belonging to Him. And they stand, organized, ready, enduring the tribulation, resisting temptation, resisting immorality and idolatry and compromise. And they're staying true to the One who called them and who sealed them. And they persevere, come what may, come every horseman, come every persecution, come wind, come fire, come hail, come lack, come violence. Look, the, the life we live right now in this new United States of America, it's a wonderful life and we should give God thanks for it. It's kind of a blip on the historical radar screen. Most of the world and Christian life has been lived under some pretty tough times. But the church of Jesus Christ remains. It keeps rising. It keeps rising. China says, close it down. Bury them. Kill them. Destroy them. And then multiplied millions of them multiply underground. Because they can't be stopped. They can't be stopped. They can't be stopped. This is the church militant, not by, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, not with sword, not with bow, not with plaque, not with gun, but by the spirit of the Lord. This is the church militant. Faithful, loyal, enduring, persevering, confronting suffering, continuing Christ's great commission, being his witnesses under the guiding, governing, comforting power of the Holy Spirit, trusting in the Lord and doing good, enduring hardship and persecution for righteousness' sake. This is the church militant. This was them. This is you. This is us. That was then, and this is now. You are sealed. You belong. You behave. You are promised. You are protected. You will persevere. You are His forever. Part two next week. Let's stand. down. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, Father Abraham. We'll do two arms. And many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, Father Abraham had many sons. Come on, church. And many sons had fought. You know what now for Abraham? I am one of them. And so are you. This is it. So let's just praise the Lord. Come on. You are sealed. You are the church triumphant. Don't let anybody tell you different. God bless you. Exchange the peace of Christ on your way out. Come back next week because we got another vision to follow this up. It gets even better. You won't believe it. You got to come back next week.